Hi, I'm Katie Marquette, and you're listening to Born of Wonder. And here there is something more than just a transient experience. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. Theotokos Virgin, rejoice, Mary full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, for thou hast borne the Savior of our souls. Hello and welcome to Born of Wonder. I'm Katie Marquette. So happy to have you here on this show. We explore anything and everything that inspires wonder and awe in the world. I started today's episode with some beautiful chant, uh, Slavonic chant, an angelic salutation to the Virgin Mary Theotokos, uh, because today we're going to be talking all about Our Lady of Tenderness, um, a famous icon from Russia, a famous depiction of the Virgin Mary um, in Byzantine Catholicism, in Eastern Rite Catholicism, and in Orthodox Christianity. And it's this beautiful image. Uh, if, if you're not familiar with iconography, you know, the idea of icons is to, it, it, it's a sort of prayer. Um, you say that you write icons, you don't paint them. Um, it's, it's, it's an act of very, um, very great devotion to create an icon, and it's an act of great devotion to contemplate one, to be looking at an icon, and uh, and and it's supposed to transport you into a uh, a meditative state, a prayerful state, allows you to ke- connect more deeply, more emotionally, with uh, certain aspects of uh, of Christ's life. And this image of the Virgin Mary is uh, is a beautiful one. Our Lady of Tenderness or Great Kindness. The main features that you will find um, in in Orthodox iconography of the Theotokos of the Mother of God is you'll see the Virgin Mary with the Christ child sitting on her arm. Jesus gently presses his cheek to uh, to his mother's face. Um, certain images show Our Lady at full height um, or seated or on a throne, but the most famous ones have a sort of a half-length image, and it's uh, it's a very it's a very sweet image um, of of a mother and her son. And uh, the way she sort of is casting her face down toward him and he um, is reaching the, the, the baby child Jesus is reaching toward his mother. His cheek is resting against her cheek. It's a really, really beautiful image. Um, the most famous one is called the Vladimir icon of the mother of God, um, brought to Byzantium to Kiev around 1130. 
Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to it. But if you just Google Our Lady of Tenderness icon, you'll see um, many other beautiful images, many other icons with uh, with this framework, with this sort of idea of the uh, Virgin Mary with the child Jesus in this very tender um tender pose uh it, it it wouldn't be considered an icon but one of my very 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 favorite images of of mary is madonna of the streets it's a really really beautiful um painting um by roberto ferruzzi i think he actually modeled it off uh it was like a young girl with her baby brother um but it's a beautiful image and if you've ever held a sleeping baby against your chest and they get that sort of just totally relaxed face that just like droopy cheeks and they're just like totally enmeshed in your chest that this image captures that so well and i love looking at it and meditating on it it's a beautiful painting i'll put a link to that in the show notes as well again it's called madonna of the streets but i love these images of showing the the tenderness the tender mother son relationship between the virgin mary and jesus um and i wanted to talk about this well i'll just give you a little backstory here dog snoring um i'll give you a little backstory just to the creation of this episode it's almost 10 o'clock now on tuesday night and as mm, some of you know i do try to get out episodes on tuesdays um but this morning i said to chris is it tuesday today (laughs) because i was supposed to do an episode and i just days are just flying by um you know we just things are going on it's just busy so um i totally just i meant to edit um an interview and it just didn't happen and then i thought well i'm just going to push it a week but as i was um doing dishes and cooking this evening i was listening to an episode of a podcast called what god is not which is hosted by two um byzantine catholics a priest and a religious sister um and uh they the 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 topic was tenderness and they were talking a lot about this about this image of the virgin mary the theotokos uh and our lady of tenderness and so it just made me first of all think about um how much i love eastern rite catholicism and just the beauty there and um the emotional just sort of uh reaction i have to eastern chant and uh i thought well i should do something about chant and then that made me think oh well you know i did do a radio piece, a public radio piece on St. Hildegard of Bingen, and that included a lot of her chant. Um, And I was like, maybe I'll just share that, even though that's obviously not Eastern Rite. But then I had trouble finding the download for that. I'm going to put a link to that episode I did uh, in the show notes so you can go listen to what I did for for Goethe Institute Public Radio Exchange. Um, I think it's a good piece. You'll get to hear some some good uh, chanting from Hildegard. So then I started thinking about Hildegard, and then that led me, you know, to be thinking uh, uh, again about sort of the the female um, power in the church, what the sort of the, the feminine genius. I'm thinking about Edith Stein. Should I do an episode about Edith Stein? And then I'm just thinking about all these themes uh, that are coming up in my life. And right now, this idea of tenderness, I think, is really, really important to me. Um a lot of a lot of things are just sort of coming at me at once that are, are bringing to this to the forefront. 
Um, first of all, is that uh, we were having a lot of like sleep problems with uh, with my toddler, just her not wanting me to leave. I, she would let Chris leave, let my husband leave, but not, you know, mom couldn't go. So, um, and I was getting very frustrated with her and uh, she responded very badly to me sort of trying to lay down the law about me leaving the room. But when I just sort of came in with an attitude of, you know, well, it's just fine. You know, we're all relaxed about this. I can hold you as long as you need. Um, and then she would let me put her down. And I just, it just always seems to be true that, um, like tenderness and, um, patience and all these sort of things, all these (laughs) things that are so hard to embody when you're sleep deprived or tired or touched out or something are what children respond to so well. And it's what we need too. that, um, you know, in the sufferings and hardships of life, um, tenderness is so often the response we need and desire so badly. Um, I'm thinking of a great line from one of my favorite Auden poems. I did a sound escape about him. If you go back on Substack, you can listen to that. But I'm thinking of this line from the more loving one poem I love. Um, and it's how should we like it where stars to burn with a passion for us we could not return if equal affection cannot be let the more loving one be me and uh, within the context of this poem it's actually a sort of bleak poem basically about um, uh, you know if there if there isn't any meaning in the world I can sort of love anyway you know I can I can I can love the stars even though they don't care for me at all but I've always taken it um, more positively than probably Auden intended it. Um, but I always think of that line of equal affection cannot be let the more loving one be me. And I think about that with my children. Um, you know, of course they, they love me very much as their mother, but you know, but it's my job as their parent, as their mother to love them more and to love them no matter what, in that sort of unconditional way. And I think um, that theologically, I think of that with God, that God is the more loving one, that we sort of, we can never offer equal affection to the creator of the universe. So that, that God always responds to our toddler tantrums and anything else we're doing, um, being the more loving one. And I also think about that parental role of God and in my own parenting and how they say, you know, when your toddler is having a tantrum, the best thing you can do is to offer them a hug, is to just diffuse the situation with, um, with, with calmness and presence. And also though, how sometimes you can't take away suffering. Um, you know, maybe they've, you know, (laughs) stubbed their toe. Maybe they don't want to put on socks, whatever the drama is. Um, or more serious things going on, but that, you know, I'm not there to take away the suffering of the situation, but I'm there as a parent to accompany them through that suffering, um, to be present to it, to calm them down, to regulate with them. Um, And that is the way that I can be a good parent. And I think that God does that too. <laughs> that Emmanuel, Emmanuel means God is with us, that that is, that is what God does for us, is accompanies us. And of course, God is a miracle worker and all these sort of things. And there are amazing things God does. But I think that much to our annoyance is much too small of a word, much to our despair and our existential 
you know, crisis that we all confront that God isn't always there to take away suffering. And um, as I was saying, this is just sort of a theme that is popping up in my life right now because I, um, I read a great piece today on Substack from Claire Swinarski. She writes uh, the Catholic Feminist um, newsletter, and it's, it's a piece called Live Not by Life Hacks. Uh, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And she talks a lot about um, basically how a lot of um, prosperity gospel thinking um, and just sort of the way most of us live is that sort of if you do XYZ, you'll be spared suffering or, you know, it'll go away. And that that's not really the Christian method me- message. And that's very hard to accept. Um, but I'll just, you should just read her piece. So, so that piece came up and then there was a beautiful piece by Laura Finucci again on Substack about the softness of God. I'm rereading the wonderful book, uh, by Sarah Clarkson called this beautiful truth. Um, and I'm thinking of this, this great, uh, this great section in the Bible in Kings, when Elijah goes out on the mountain, I'm going to quote here, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. So you just see these themes that are coming up over and over again. And this is also in the context of me having a lot of anxiety about things because of feeling very out of control. I mean, nothing makes you feel more out of control than having kids, right? Um, you know, like when they're sick or, you know, I mean, the, the cliche of like your, the cliche of like your heart running around outside your body. I mean, like you love these kids so much and there's only so much you can protect them from. And it's hard to live with that. I think children make you realize that and realize your vulnerability. Uh, and it makes you think about other things that you just you just don't have control over. And it's, it's scary to think about that. So um, I've been thinking about that a lot. We've been talking about that a lot. And uh, sort of an initial response was to sort of accept and understand the harshness of the world, that that's not something to rectify. Um, but that, you know, only goes so far because if we're just in a (laughs) in a thankless bleak world I mean I don't believe that you know I don't I don't believe that and I think I needed to to hear some some sort of what what's past that sort of what 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 you what do you find when you confront the harshness of the world what is there past that what is the redemption of that um and uh and I think that it's it's somewhere in this in this mishmash of um, of accompaniment of presence of tenderness and sorrow and uh, redeeming all those things. Um, I'm going to share another quote here, and it's 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 a bit of a longer quote, and it's a bit confusing, and it has some interesting language in it. But um, stay with me. It's uh, by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, he was a pastor, a Lutheran pastor, who lost his life to the Nazis after um, being imprisoned, being a part of a plot to kill Hitler. So here is a quote from him. He says, the same God who is with us is the God who forsakes us. The same God who makes us to live in the world without the working hypothesis of God is the God before whom we stand continually. Before God and with God, we live without God. God consents to be pushed out of the world and onto the cross. God is weak and powerless in the world. And in precisely this way, 
and only so, is at our side and helps us. Matthew 8.17 makes it quite clear that Christ helps us not by the virtue of his omnipotence, but rather by virtue of his weakness and suffering. This is the crucial distinction between Christianity and all religions. Human religiosity directs people in need to the power of God in the world. The Bible directs people toward the powerlessness and the suffering of God. Only the suffering God can help. The human being is called upon to share in God's suffering at the hands of a godless world. It is not a religious act that makes someone a Christian, but rather sharing God's suffering in the worldly life. So like I said, a lot to unpack there. I will put that full quote in the show notes so you can read it for yourself. But that line, um, uh, God is weak and powerless in the world. I think we all sort of probably bristle at that. What do you mean God is weak and powerless in the world? But he says in this way, in precisely this way, and only so he is at our side and helps us. So again, accompaniment. Um, Christ helps us not by the virtue of his omnipotence, but by virtue of his weakness and suffering. And this is a crucial difference. This is what makes Christianity such a paradox. You know, in in Buddhism, the Buddha, when he's the wealthy prince, he goes out on the road and he is shocked by the suffering of the world. He is shocked by death and sickness and all these horrible things people have to live with in the world. He is shocked by it and his solution is, uh, you know, we got to get out of this. We've got to We have to practice complete detachment. And again, there's a a whole, you know, thing to be said about detachment in Christianity as well, but complete detachment um, to the point of basically being not present to our physical bodies anymore so that we can be released from this cycle of suffering. Um, The goal is, you know, there's nothing redemptive about that suffering. You, You need to escape it. The whole goal of Buddhism is to escape the suffering, get away from it. There is no engagement with it. There is no good engaging with it. Um, so you need to emotionally, physically detach yourself completely from the suffering of the world. That's the only way to um, have a, any sort of release or <laughs> uh, satisfaction in life. Um, and uh, so, so there's that. And then there are also, you know, so many religions that are so focused on the power and the might of God, the 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 you know strength of God, the brute force of God. Um, and I would put, uh, you know like atheism is a, is its own religion. Every, I mean, everything has its belief system. So there's a certain belief system in the, you know, limitless powers of human beings to forego suffering, to get rid of it. Um, we all know that I, I did a whole piece on Substack about this, about the many people who are trying very seriously and very hard to um, never die. So, I mean, that is, that's a religion is to, to say, I will never confront death at all, uh, another avoidance tactic. So, uh, Christianity has a very different message about, um, about suffering in the world and what that means and what God can do about that suffering. Um, so anyway, this is just me rambling a bit, but maybe you're getting little bits here. Um, I also thought of this because of the time of year we're in, in the liturgical time of the church. It's September, which is the month of the Virgin Mary's seven sorrows. Uh, the entire month is devoted to her sorrows, and the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows is September 15th, this Friday. Um, and the, the seven sorrows are she hears the prophecies of death, uh, they flee persecution, lose Jesus in the temple, 
she sees Jesus carrying the cross on his back, stumbling under its weight, Jesus dying on the cross, Jesus being taken down from the cross. Finally, the seven sorrow, he is laid in his tomb, the seven sorrows of the Virgin Mary. And you think about, again, that unique sorrow and suffering of a parent um, that is all tied up with this extreme love. Um, and I don't think it's a mistake that so much of understanding who God is, is through parental familial language. Um, and again, it's been said many times, but that Jesus uses the prayer, our father, he uses the word Abba, you know, Papa, Dada, a very intimate way of addressing God, a very uniquely um, tender way of addressing God. And uh, here again in September, I think about um, the feast day of St. Jerome on September 30th, which is my birthday. I've always loved that because he's the patron of librarians, um, among other things. And he was also a little surly sometimes, so I relate to him. But he was a very, St. Jerome, you know, he's a desert father, very early saint, and uh, apparently had you know, wasn't the nicest guy to be around all the time, was a little sharp-tongued and, you know, had some intellectual pride issues and things like that. But there's this great story um, offered in The Golden Legend when St. Jerome, uh, a lion, comes limping into the monastery and all the other monks, you know, leave, they're afraid. Um, but Jerome greets him like a guest and the lion shows him his wounded foot and Jerome called the other brothers and ordered them to wash the animal's feet and to dress the wound carefully. So they do this and St. Jerome takes out each one of the thorns from his paw. The lion recovered, lost all his wildness and lived among the monks like a house pet. So again, this tender act of like, this is a beautiful story, you know, think of a like powerful lion like this and he's presenting his wounded paw and the reaction to this is not fear or um, abandonment of this animal, but to confront the issue, to heal him but um, to have this very tender uh, reaction to him. So that's my musing. That's my, that's my wandering musings for you tonight. <laughs> uh, so this is going to come out tomorrow morning. And I hope that, you know, the reason, you know, maybe there was some reason that this came on my mind. Maybe somebody needed to hear it. So I hope that this was beneficial to you. Um, I'm going to send you out again with some more of this beautiful chant. Highly recommend. Um, I really like this podcast, What God Is Not. Um, and uh, I, again, I, I, and that's the name of that podcast is a lot about what I really enjoy. Uh, enjoy is not the right word. What I really appreciate about um, the Eastern wing of the church, the Eastern arm, arm, leg, lung, lung. That's a word. That's a word JP2 used. The lung of the church, uh, the Eastern lung of the church. I appreciate in their theology is they have a lot of tolerance for and embracing of God's mystery. So um, it's more saying we know what God is not. We don't know all the things that God is, and we know we know certain things about. Um, you know, we know that God is not. Um, hateful or spiteful um these things we know and by that we we can understand god's tenderness and love and i think this image of the virgin mary of a mother with her child is a beautiful way to contemplate that reality so uh i wish you well wish you all good things hope you have a great week and hopefully i'll get around to be editing some of these interviews that i have backlogged and we'll be getting those out to you soon. Um, I'm writing away on Substack. I really hope that you'll find me there and follow me. 
Um, I go back and forth about maybe getting a dumb phone. Uh, you know, now that I'm social media less, I've got to find some new Luddite, you know, pastime. So now I have to contemplate, you know, getting rid of my smartphone completely. I don't think I will. Uh, at least I'm, I'm not quite there yet. But um, I did muse a bit about what we've given up uh, just with all these conveniences, what we're losing. I did a whole essay about that. It's called, Is Your Phone Robbing You of Experiences? You can go check that out. Um, I have a new series for paid subscribers uh, with lots of book reviews, uh, good things like that. And uh, yeah, so I just, I, I really enjoy the community there and I really love writing there and love the whole platform. So I hope to find you over there. And we're in September, guys. We're really, we're in, it's basically fall. We've got like a week, a week and a half till it's official, but I'm there. I'm ready. So uh, I hope you are too. Uh, time to get some pumpkins, um, just blast the AC, put on a sweater and drink some tea. So I hope that's what you're doing and reading a book, of course. So, all right. I will be back with you soon. As always, I'm Katie Marquette and this is Born of Wonder. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. <laughs>